When I first heard about what this episode's guest was doing for a podcast, it really took me back to my childhood. Now, the rest of the story. Eugene Wesley was a small boy, but he was outbound on the adventure of a lifetime. He could feel the ship. That's the voice of Paul Harvey. And naturally, he was the host of the rest of the story. These cool, kind of behind-the-scenes stories of common things you knew about, or people, celebrities, and the story of how something in their life happened. It usually was surprising, a bit quirky, and sometimes very unexpected. Now that I've set the stage, pointing back to Paul Harvey, you'll understand why this was particularly intriguing to me. From starting out as eye protection against snow blindness to helping pilots navigate the skies without being blinded by the sun, the subject of today's episode not only protects your eyes, but has also been a staple of fashion for centuries as it turns out. You're listening to The Story Behind, The Extraordinary History of the Ordinary. I'm your host, Emily Prokop, and this is The Story Behind Sunglasses. I think Emily's podcast has that same flavor and approach as Paul Harvey's radio show of years gone by. And I think it's possible it may have the same kind of lasting memories. That's because it's got that unique spin where it's teaching you about something you already know except on a deeper level or a behind-the-scenes look. If you haven't heard the story behind, you've got to go and check it out. I thought it would be fun to hear how Emily's journey has taken her to, first of all, the publication of a podcast like this, and then secondly, to what that podcast has accomplished for her. Stick around. We're going to have fun hearing Emily's podcaster story. Way back in 2003-2004, an amazing new media technology was developed. It was audio content that could be directly delivered to anyone who subscribes to it. And they called it a podcast. Since that time, podcasting technology has improved and the number of shows have increased exponentially. In these special edition audio sessions of my show, Podcastification, I feature the stories of the people who have found success creating their own podcast, and I'm calling them Podcaster Stories. I was an only child, and we were a very music, media-type family. We either had music going or we had the TV on all the time. My parents were so into TV and movies and music and stuff that it came into my life a lot. And it pretty much influenced wanting to be in plays and wanting to perform and wanting to sing and wanting to make fake radio shows. And then also even wanting to become a writer. And it's so funny when I look back on my childhood and I think of all the things that I'm doing now that as a child I wanted to do. And I never realized that I would have the chance to do it in my 30s through podcasting because in 1980s, you know, podcasting was not a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you actually remember as a child thinking, I would like to be a broadcaster or I would like to be a writer or, you know, some other creative endeavor like a singer. You remember thinking that as a child? Yeah. And I always felt bad that everybody seemed to have 
the same answer, no matter what grade they were asked that question of what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always, I had a different answer every single time. <laughs> it, and it was so frustrating because nobody knew what to get me for Christmas. It's like, okay, we're going to get her a bike because maybe she wants to be a biker now. And, she, you know, she was pretending to be a lawyer the other, other day. So do we get her steno pads? <laughs> so I was very hard to shop for, but it was more just when I look back on it, it was all about performing and communicating and finding a way to tell other people what I was thinking and what I was feeling. Hmm. So what is it about the broadcast kind of medium, like singing, drama, you mentioned being in plays and things, and then eventually like broadcasting through podcasting? What is it about that that draws you? What part of you does it stir? Naturally, I'm an introvert. And when I'm around people, I can get very drained. But there was something about going on stage and even being behind a microphone where it just feels like me and my voice and what I'm saying and broadcasting it out, even through a play or even writing or even on social media, I didn't get that sort of connection with my audience the same way I get that with podcasting and doing the story behind and hearing people who've heard my voice, who've gone with me for the two and a half years I've been doing this, and a lot can happen in two and a half years. I have listeners who remember when I took a break to have my child and they say to me now, oh, he just turned two, right? And being like, I've never met you before in my entire life. This is so freaky. But as an introvert, I also hate all that small talk of, well, I I uh, am a mom and da 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 da, da. I want to get right into the meat. Okay, you already know my life story. Great. Let's have a really deep conversation that I would have with a very best friend who I've known for years. Do you think that that ability to you know, hear your own voice and be kind of alone with your own thoughts as you're creating an episode, does that help you to like process what's going on? I know some people are verbal processors and they, they understand themselves better as they speak. Is that part of what it is for you? It is. That and writing and the fact that my show is scripted means I actually have the time to sit down and work out what I want to say and how I want to say it and present it. And I think that's why I like performing and singing too, is because they put the words right in front of you. So talking off the cuff for me, I've always been a lot more uncomfortable, and I think that's where the introversion comes in. But at least this, and even going to podcast editing, it means that I can actually say what I want to say without worrying how I'm saying it, because I know that I can either make it sound right when I'm writing it, or I can make it sound right when I'm editing it later. And I think having that power has helped me so much to actually come into the person that I'm becoming and who I am. Hmm. So it's been a confidence builder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Emily just shared something pretty incredible for those of you who are a little uncomfortable with the whole idea of, you know, having to say it right, having to get it right the first time. Did you notice what she does for her podcast? She scripts out her episodes. And if you listen to her podcast, it doesn't sound like she's reading a script. She's very natural. She's practiced it. And you can do the same thing. If it seems kind of intimidating to you to have to be on when you record a podcast episode, consider scripting. It may not be the optimal option for everyone, but for people like Emily, man, it's really a winner. What I hear most is people saying, oh, I hate the sound of my own voice. I hate you know, feeling like I'm stumbling all over my words, you know, that sort of thing. And and they get focused too much on the potentially negative sides of speaking into a microphone. But for you, it sounds like it's the opposite. 
Well, I think because also listening to a lot of podcasts, the thoughts that I was having about my own voice, I never had about anybody else's voice when I listened Mm. to them. And I've listened to hundreds of different podcasts before. And never before have I thought, oh, gosh, I have to turn this off. Her voice is just (laughs) terrible. I've never thought that. And even if I did, I wouldn't even blame the voice itself. I would blame a terrible connection over Skype or something like that. I wouldn't necessarily blame the person. I've never met a person in real life and said, oh, gosh, I can't listen to their voice. (laughs) And I think knowing that I felt that way about other people, I realized when I would have these conversations to myself while I'm editing. Oh, I can't listen to my own voice. Oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, listen to those lip smacks. Who, who, what am I doing with my mouth? And I'm my worst critic. I don't hear or see or get emails from listeners who hear those things and say, well, I really love the content, but your lip smacks, honey, (laughs) stop (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) And I've never gotten that. And I think When I realized that I was my worst critic, I was like, oh, well, I can deal with me. I can just tell myself to be quiet for a little while. Well, that's good. You sound like a very self-aware person. I hope so. I try to be. (laughs) Well, I think we definitely serve ourselves better when we do the work that it takes to understand ourselves better and be humble enough to listen to others who are close to us and can help us understand that. Yeah. And in podcasting, you also... You trust the people who will tell you those things because when some people meet you, they want to praise you and not necessarily suck up to you, but, you know, give you a lot of compliments. But it's the one person who comes over and is like, I've been listening to you for years. You're fantastic. You know, maybe sometimes you get a little off track, but you bring it back and trying not to focus on just that one negative thing they're saying and take it as a whole. I think those are the people that you want to have in your audience who trust you enough to say that to you. Exactly. Where in your life journey did podcasting come in and how did that happen? I think podcasting started when I first discovered podcasts and that was in 2012 and I had just gone through a divorce And I moved to an apartment and I didn't have cable or television, but I did have my iPhone and it had this new purple app on there that I had never used before called Podcasts. And again, I was broke and I was very much looking at the phone being like, okay, well, let's see how much these podcast things are because I need something to listen to while I'm unpacking. And I don't trust the radio because I'm going through a divorce. The last thing I want is Delilah on the radio, just making me all depressed and crying. So I turned on the podcast app and I found Good Job Brain and I found the Story Song podcast and all of a sudden I felt like, this is wonderful. This is getting my mind out of a very dark place and I'm finding people who are not necessarily helping me with the problem I'm looking to solve, which is my divorce and getting over it, but I'm finding people who are cultivating my love of learning and keeping my brain active. And so I listened to those for years and I loved them. And I would tell anybody about podcasts, like, these are the greatest things ever. No, you got to listen to the new music out. I'm like, why? So I can hear the same 40 songs on repeat? No, you don't understand. This information is free. It's right here. It's the stuff that you could Google while you're driving. You know, it's just all right here. And my husband finally said, you talk about these all the time. Why aren't you making a podcast? Why aren't you doing this? And I thought, I have nothing to say. (laughs) I just wanted to consume it. I just wanted all that information. And 
And he said it for years. He said, why don't you start a podcast? Why don't you start a podcast? And he's a big tech guy. So he was also in bands. So he had microphones. And when I finally did want to start a podcast, we ended up using rock band mics and quickly moved on from those. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But yeah, and I started when I finally had an idea with my friend. We had been listening to a lot of podcasts together and trading information and saying, oh, I heard on a podcast. I heard on a podcast. And we got to a point where why don't we make a podcast about this? Why don't we make a podcast about the stuff that we know and the trivia? And we like to drink wine and eat some cheese. Let's throw that into the podcast too. And we made the ultimate hangout podcast of drinking and talking into a mic. (laughs) (laughs) And then that went on for a year. And then it folded. I always say it folded, but it was one of those things where we both ended up having different ideas in mind and he lost interest and I was very heartbroken when that happened because I fell in love with podcasting and I fell in love with the community, especially. I think had it not been for the community, it would have been one of those hobbies that I did for a little while and I got mediocre at and then kind of put down and said, oh, yeah, when, you know, back a few years ago, I used to play guitar. Yeah, here and there. And I was worried that I was going to be able to say that about podcasting. And I had podcaster friends reaching out, tagging me on Twitter saying, when are you coming back? get back behind the mic. You don't need your co-host anymore. Come back. We miss you. We want you behind the mic. We don't care what you do. This was actually uh, Nick from Epic Film Guys who hmm. just, he basically started a campaign. He even did a countdown of, you know, how how many days it's been since we've seen Emily. And it was just, you know, to have somebody do that who I've still never met in real life. I mean, how could I leave that world? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And then finally, when I had the idea for the story behind, I was pregnant and I had a craving for pink lemonade and I went to the store and I came back and I looked and I said, they don't make pink lemons. And I went and I looked up the story behind pink lemonade and I looked around. It was my lunch hour at work. And as soon as I found out, there were two really interesting stories. So that's where the the brainchild behind the story behind came from was you looking for pink lemonade. Yeah. Yeah, I looked up the information and I got it and I looked around and because it was my lunch hour, all of my coworkers were out and I had nobody to tell. And that's when it hit me. It's like, if you're looking around for somebody to tell something to and you can't find anybody, that's when you grab a microphone. That's when you start a podcast. And that's what I did. And by the time my lunch hour was over, I had the cover art. I had the story behind. I think I bought the story behind podcast.com. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how am I supposed to go back to work after this now that I have this amazing idea for a show? And so was that your very first episode was the story behind Pink Lemonade? It wasn't. I didn't even talk about Pink Lemonade until episode 30. Wow. And it was in a tiny little snippet because for episode 30, I just did 30 random facts. And one of those random facts was about the two origin stories of Pink Lemonade. Interesting. So what was your very first episode of the story behind? I did the story behind the theremin, which even though the tagline is everyday objects, it's not necessarily every day, but Halloween has always been my favorite holiday. And I wanted to launch the show on Halloween. And I say launch in quotes because as podcast editors and producers, we know there's really no like launch day. It's kind of a launch 
month, month, launch weeks. (laughs) And I did the story behind the theremin because it was so interesting when I started to learn about the man who invented it and how he came over to America to promote this brand new instrument. But really, they didn't find out till decades later that he came to America as a Russian spy. And I was like, this is incredible. No, I've never heard this story before. And so I made that my first episode. I made it a little bit overproduced than what I do now. I think I wanted to try and make it more like this American life and in a narrative way with some more clips. And because it was the theremin, it was nice to be able to lend itself to sort of theater of the mind of getting that theremin spooky sound in there. And then I realized as I was finding more and more actual everyday objects, I don't necessarily have to be as creative with them because the story sort of tells itself and it doesn't need the extras sometimes. Now, I didn't want to stop you because that's all just fascinating. And I love hearing your enthusiasm about it. But I'm one of the people you're going to meet who, though I'm a musician and I'm musically inclined, I have no clue what a theremin is. Can you uh, inform (gasps) my ignorance? Oh, yes. The theremin is that it's sort of a box. The music is made with the electromagnetic waves and you wave your hand over it. And as you wave your hand over it, it makes this eerie, spooky sound that you would hear in sci-fi movies in the 50s Mm. of like, you know, I I would imitate it, but I think... Don't know if my microphone would be able to take it of just and now you have that sound bite for the rest of your life. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is really interesting. So what other than the fact that you wanted to launch it on that particular date made you think this is a great topic for a first episode? I loved the story. I was so blown away by the story. And it was also I had researched the first five episodes and all of them were fascinating to me. So it was very hard to pick the number one. And I think on that day, that was technically my number one, but I launched one, two, and three on the same day. So there was the theremin, there was sugar skulls and dry ice. Dry ice was the Hmm. other one. So I kind of did a spooky theme around that. That is really interesting. I love the way you combined those themes into kind of a larger, broader theme for the date that you were launching. That's really cool. I love when I can do that because when I can be timely with episodes, it also ends up helping with marketing because people are searching for podcasts or any sort of information on the subjects that are maybe around that day. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that all of us as podcasters need to put some more thought into because there are likely topics surrounding whatever we talk about that do have an annual cycle to them in some way. And if we can discover that and publish content around it, it would definitely help for the exposure of our shows. Yeah. One of my favorite things to look at are calendars of this is National Teddy Bear Day. Yeah. Having that in my mind where, okay, Saturday is going to be National Teddy Bear Day. Most likely on Twitter, that's going to be trending as a hashtag. And if I can come out with a show relatively around that time, that hashtag can help me market that show. And I'm not necessarily making the show specifically to market it, but having those options, there are so many different days of the year that's a national whatever day or international something week. It's so great for my show to be able to look at those ahead of time and then look at the stories behind them and say, oh, I have never heard this before. I bet my audience would love this as well. You're planning ahead to elevate people's awareness of your show. And in this case, it is specific to your show. But there's a method to that madness. It's not that you're just trying to catch any old listener. You're trying to catch people who specifically will appreciate the kinds of things that you podcast about. In your case, it's the stories behind 
everyday things or, or topics or phenomenon that we see in our culture. You know, that last four minutes is worth pausing and listening to again. Seriously, if you are looking to bring greater attention to your podcast for those who you know it's designed to serve, you need to be strategic about it. And Emily just dropped some incredible knowledge on us right there. Her savvy at looking at the actual calendar and looking at holidays and events and special things and declarations about days. I mean, I never would have thought of that kind of stuff. But man, what special days are there that might appeal to your audience? I think there might be technical tools based on AI and stuff out there that would help us to figure that out a little better. But even regardless, just plain old common sense would help us tremendously in that. Emily, man, thank you for such a great insight. Let's get back to Emily's story. Let's let's hear some more of what this savvy gal's got to say. Let me ask you for some advice that you would give to someone, say they've already got a podcast going, but they're struggling to know how to be strategic about this, how to plan better for the publication of their show. What sort of advice would you have to give them? Know your audience. Know them so well. And when I say audience, I don't just mean overall. I mean, find individuals who are the most active in your Facebook group, who always respond to your tweets, who you find in your DMs, and who are the ones who email you if you put out a call to action on your show. Find them, get to know them, and ask them what they're looking for, what they're looking forward to. In my case, when I was being offered the book contract. And I wanted to make sure that I was going to write a book that my audience was not only going to read, but also recommend to their friends. I went into my Facebook group and I said, what kind of books do you guys like? And I was able to look at those answers and actually pinpoint, okay, my listeners like short chapters. They like more casually written books. And I knew what to create for them. Yeah. Knowing your audience is, I think, vital. I mean, how do you know who to speak to and how to speak to them if you don't know who they are? You must be just naturally a very curious person, given that you've created a podcast about all these these intriguing little things that I know we all ask the questions about from time to time. Would you say that's a that's a fair statement? Yeah, I think I was always very curious. And it was something that as a kid, many people kind of try to steer you away from. And it's one of those things that I love seeing in my own kids and bringing that out. So I think curiosity, if you have it as a kid, it's very sad to let it go. And finding it as an adult, and which is something that I feel like I found with podcasts, is my natural curiosity come back. That's what I hope to do with the story behind. And that's why I make it for all ages so that everybody can listen to it in the car. I think being able to cultivate that curiosity, that's how things evolve. And that's something that I've learned from the story behind too, is nobody is just happy with the status quo when maybe there could be a better way of doing something or a more efficient way of doing something. And it's because these inventors were curious enough to wonder that question is, is there a better way that we have these everyday objects that are so ubiquitous now, but at the time that they were invented were so controversial or ingenious, or something that nobody had ever thought of before. 
You know, the fact that Emily scripts her show has made me mindful of some of the things I notice in my clients' shows that either serve or detract from the enjoyment that their audience will receive from listening. Let me give you a couple of tips of things I hear that I feel like shouldn't be done. First of all, is just the obvious, the ums and the uhs and all the filler words. Of course, they lend to authenticity, but they also can be distracting. And then how about this? When in your pre-interview, you give your guest bio, and then the first question you ask is, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, didn't you just do that? Why would you want that in there twice? Figure out where you want it to fit and do it there once. Don't make your audience listen to it again, for goodness sake. And then there's things you could add that will spice up your show and make it more engaging for your listeners. One example of that is what I would call catchphrases. One of my clients, Scott Volker, always says, take action. And he's made that a mantra of his show. His audience knows it. His audience uses it. His audience hashtags it. I mean, all kinds of amazing things you can do if you're just thoughtful about this stuff. So friends, hey, take some time to be intentional about your show like Emily has been. And if you need some help in strategizing that sort of stuff, that's what my company does. Strategy sessions are a great way to get a perspective from someone who sees a lot in the industry and can think outside the boundaries that are in your own mind about your own show. So reach out if you're interested. All right, let's dig back into Emily's podcaster story. Let's go back to the timeline on your podcasting career. You started that first podcast. What was the name of that show? That was Classy Little Podcast. Classy Little Podcast. And how long did you continue publishing that show? We almost made it a year. I was actually very annoyed that we got to episode 49 because you kind of want, at least if I'm going to stop, I should have <laughs> gotten my co-host back for just one more just to make it an even 50. But I came back for my 50th episode after a few months of hiatus. And I said, all right, I'm back. There's a reason we're not doing this wine and cheese podcast anymore. I'm pregnant. Uh, so <laughs> a lot of the cheeses I can't have, and I definitely can't have the wine anymore. And I came back and I let them know about the new podcast, which was important for me. And I still have audience members that kind of break my heart when they're like, I'm still subscribed to the classy little podcast, just hoping it comes back one oh, day. Oh, Yeah. And I know their pain. I know their pain because one of the first podcasts I listened to, the Story Song podcast, they went on a five-year hiatus and I was heartbroken because they never really had an ending episode. And then this past November, they came back after five years and I was like, oh, okay, you can have hope in podcasts that they will come back. There is no final. The show is never coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that definitely gives me hope. I have a podcast, my very first one that I started. That's been well over a year since I've published an episode and I never did a goodbye episode either. I just haven't had time. And so one of yeah. those things I hope, I hope that my life is going to arrange itself in such a way as different things fall into place that I can get back to it because it's still something I feel very passionately about. So thank you for that. That's very hope inducing. <laughs> Isn't it? When they came back after five years and they started posting on their Facebook page and I was seeing that on Facebook because Facebook must have seen that, you know, you've checked this page a lot to see if these people were coming back. They finally posted something. I was floored because that's how attached people get to podcasts that they love. All right, you're going away for five years. I will wait for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is a great testimony to the power of building community through a podcast. Oh, I mean, yeah. that, that is really amazing. So classy little podcast almost hit a year. And by the way, you mentioned you would have loved to have gotten to episode 50. 
given your curious nature, there's a very interesting episode of Choiceology, which is a podcast that Charles Schwab puts out, but it's about why we prefer round numbers like that. And what is oh. it in us that causes us to be curious about that? You would probably love that show anyway. I would. Thank you. They talk a lot about why we do this and why are people interested in that? And it's a lot of data and research, but it's done very well. And um, that particular episode just reminded me of what you were saying. So you should check that out. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, a classy little podcast went on for a year, almost a year. And then where did you go from there? From there, I had sort of the breakup <laughs> with my co-host, as I call it. And it was nothing romantic. It was just we realized that we were going in different directions. And I was taking podcasting really seriously, probably more serious than a hobby should have been taken. And it makes a lot of sense why now that's all I do is podcasting is because I was just getting that into my life, into my bloodstream, just eat, sleep and breathe podcasting or podcasts or podcast listening. And it all became just a big mix of, OK, Emily is all about podcasting. She's also a mom and she also works full time doing this, this and this. But really, if you talk to Emily, most likely every other word out of her mouth will be podcast or something about podcasts. <laughs> That's very interesting. So unpack that statement for me. You said that you were taking it a little more seriously than a hobby probably should have been taken. And I guess what I'm curious about is, are you implying there are some lessons learned there, some things you discovered about keeping balance? <laughs> Just because you can survive on three hours of sleep does not mean you should. <laughs> <laughs> That was one of the first signs that I was taking it much more seriously than a hobby. With my podcast, if I wasn't editing and tweaking, I was talking to other podcasters or I was listening to podcasts about podcasting or I was watching the live shows. Oh my goodness, if I could see a live podcast about podcasting, I was there and in the chat room to the point where I think at one point Ray Ortega's like, Emily is just the fourth host who lives in the chat room over there That's at Podcasters funny. Roundtable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I love that. And I would take those compliments and run with it and be like, yes, this is where I'm supposed to be. These are my people. I podcast, podcast, podcast all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's good. And I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there because, you know, we all can get out of balance, especially when we're getting engaged with a new thing. It's interesting to hear the after the experience wisdom that comes out from people like yourself. So thank you for sharing that. So after... Classy little podcast. You're talking about podcasts all the time. Where did you go from there when it came to podcasting? After those three months of kind of the breakup period and then having Pink Lemonade that one day and deciding to start a new podcast, then I dove headfirst into the story behind, which was my own podcast. I didn't have a co-host. Everything had to be decided by me, which was nice in a way. I didn't feel like I had to run anything by anybody else. Being around other podcasters and listening to all those podcasts about podcasting, it was like I could take all that information, put it into my head, you know, spin it around and see which I feel applies to me and what I want for my show the best. And just that whole show, when I look at it, there are so many different elements that I had to decide on and put together that I don't even think about now. It's just sort of, oh, there's the story behind. It's a whole collective of a thing. And it's not just mine. It's my audiences. And it's also the people who I've had on the show as guest voices. It's all of their show. And sometimes it 
can be a little overwhelming because when it's essentially just a podcast that's researched and scripted and narrated and edited and published by me, it can feel very daunting that all these other people are waiting for it and expecting it. But when an audience loves you and really loves your show and loves what you're putting out, as long as you're open with them about what's going on, they are the most supportive people in the whole world. And those who aren't, and maybe you don't drive with them, they kind of show themselves out. I haven't had a bad interaction with somebody who's like, you know, I hate the show. I hate it so much and I'm leaving. They normally just kind of see themselves out. Maybe they leave a one-star review, but it's like, this isn't what I'm doing my show for. I'm doing my show for the people who are around and who show me support and who I want to support as well. So you've been publishing the story behind for how long? Oh, October 2016. So two and a half years. Okay. So two and a half years. And in that two and a half years, kind of walk me through the stages that you've seen the show go through. I mean, we all start out there with nothing published, and then we start out with a usually a bulk drop of three or four episodes. You, you mentioned three earlier. So was your goal to publish an episode a week at that point? It was funny. When I first wrote the script, for anybody who is looking to do a podcast that's scripted, the amount that you write is very different from the amount of time it takes to say it. So when mm. I wrote the whole script out, I thought it was going to be a 20-minute episode. That's a great length for a podcast. A lot of the podcasts I listen to are 20 minutes. When I read it and then edited it down to take out all the mistakes, it was eight. Yeah. And I thought, what? No one's going to listen to an eight-minute podcast. What is that? That's ridiculous. And so after I recorded a few and I realized they were all in the five to 10-minute range, I really had to question you know, I know there are shows out there that do this, but I don't necessarily know of any ones that are specifically history-based because the history-based podcasts I knew were very long. Yeah. Some of them were short. There is history in 10 minutes, and I did love that show a lot, but that was really the only one I knew of that was super short. And so when you're starting out, you're looking and comparing and looking at all these other shows. Is this right? And that's also what I hear from clients is, am I doing this right? I don't see anything else like that out there. And I think when you're a podcaster, when you're a beginner podcast, if you don't see something out there that you want to listen to and you can make that show, that's when you know you have to go out and buy a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're not that cost prohibitive anymore. There's some really good microphones for under 60 bucks. It's really... Oh, yeah. I've been using my ATR 2100 this whole time for all four years. I've been behind the microphone. It's been an ATR 2100. Yeah, that's a great microphone. And now the, the Samsung Q2U is just a really good alternative to that. That's that's very inexpensive. So as you began doing your show and you kind of settled in your own mind that the shorter format might be okay, where in your curve, your growth curve, did you see the numbers really starting to take off? I really haven't seen it. It's all been so very gradual. The only time I saw a significant jump was the week after the Webbies were announced and I was mm. announced as a nominee. Then I saw a jump of about 20%, mm. but I don't know if that's a permanent jump. So yeah. I can't really tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's walk it through then. So you've seen this gradual growth all the way. I mean, obviously you started out at zero and by the end of year one, where were your numbers? All right. So after 
a year of podcasting, my month would be in the six to 8,000 download range. And that also includes a lot of back episodes, which at that point, after a year, I had 100 episodes. So that's 100 episodes, back episodes. My anniversary episode, episode 100, which was the story behind musicals, I saw a huge jump in that. But that was because so many people were talking about it because I sang the whole thing. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) And they were like, I can't believe she did this on a podcast. I can't believe she made up this song about the history of musicals. And then she sang it where so many people are like, I can't even stand the sound of my talking voice. How could she (laughs) sing it? And for me, singing is like, no, the words are right in front of me. I know the melody. I might as well just sing it into a microphone. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So somewhere along the line, your podcast led you to some unexpected opportunities. Can you unpack for us what are the things that have come about from your podcast? The first thing that happened was I got an email from the Academy of Podcasters once I had gotten back from maternity leave. I got it the day I got back from maternity leave. And they said that my show, The Story Behind, had been nominated for an Academy of Podcasters Award. and. I looked at the date of when those award ceremonies would be, and it was at Podcast Movement that year. And I realized, oh my gosh, I used all of my time off for maternity leave that now I can't go to this award ceremony Mm. where my show is being honored or at least nominated. And it might not win or it might, but the fact that I can't go to this because of this nine to five job, I mean... Not only was there the award, but it was also something that sparked in my brain that says, this is what I want to do all the time. These are the Mm. opportunities that I want to be able to take. And I'm sitting behind a desk and that's okay, but I'm not getting the satisfaction that I do when I go home and I edit for eight hours and I forget to sleep. So that was a big thing was getting that email and not just because of how amazingly honored I felt getting that award nomination, but because of what it sparked in my brain and it made me realize that podcasting is really what I want to do and where I want to be and the people I want to be around. And then I would say after a few months and I found out that I was getting laid off, it was sort of a blessing in disguise. Maybe a week later, I got an email from a publishing company and they had listened to the story behind and they heard these five to 10 minute episodes. And when the woman emailed me, she said, you know your episodes would be perfect as chapters in a book. Hmm. And I had never thought about that before. No matter the fact that I wanted to be a writer ever since I was in seventh grade, it never occurred to me that as I was writing these scripts for episodes, I was writing a book. And I had always thought, well, I don't have time to write a book. I have a full-time job and now I'm a mom and now I'm married and I have a house to take care of. I don't have time to write a book. Apparently I did. And it was podcasting that showed me that I have these talents, and yes, I'm using them for podcasting right now, but I can also use them to actually fulfill this dream that I've wanted since seventh grade. Hmm. That is just super cool. So a book deal that came out of it, as well as the honor of being nominated for this award. And then just most recently, you were nominated for something a little bigger than that. Why don't you tell us about that? I was nominated for the 2019 Webby for Best Series in Podcast, and I was up against some pretty big shows. Yeah. I was up against Serial, In the Dark, Slow Burn, The Habitat, and these are all big company produced. This was Gimlet Media. Uh, this is American Public Media, Serial itself. 
Slate. These were big shows. And when you look at the numbers and when you compare the numbers, my show was a tiny fraction of what these shows were in terms of audience size. But when I was able to make that announcement that I was nominated for a Webby, that's when the side of podcasting that pulled me in to begin with, that's when they came in full force behind me and they shared that link so hard, harder than (laughs) me on some days of just vote for Emily. Emily's show is independently produced with just her doing all the things. And I never wanted it to be a David and Goliath type thing. But the fact that the independent podcaster community and then podcasters who I had respected and learned from, they were saying these amazing things about me on their podcast. It was just mind blowing. It's so funny to just realize that, oh, man, they're, they're saying all these great things about me, but they might not realize that five minutes ago I had my hand in a dirty diaper and I am disgusting. And, (laughs) you know, like you want to bring that humanity back to people and be like, yeah, I'm up against these shows, but I'm also just a normal person. I think that's why people love independent podcasters so much too, is because we don't overproduce ourselves. We don't have a team to make us look great and people fall in love with our flaws. Yeah. Which is part of the appeal. You know, you're just like me. You're yeah. You're not someone who is this this model that's unattainable or this this example that I I have no hope of ever attaining. It's hope. It really does provide hope. Yeah, and those were the podcasts that I listened to to start off too. They were people doing what they wanted to do for fun, but they meant the world to me mm. because they brought me through this very dark time in my life that people who were in my life and I was seeing every day, they couldn't reach me in the way that podcasts could. This is also an interesting turn of events that podcasting as a medium and as an industry that's growing has actually provided you a means of making a living as well. Yeah. I found out very early on that I was one of those rare unicorns in the podcasting Facebook groups who loved editing (laughs) And people would complain. And all of a sudden, I'd be in the comments of, wait, what are you guys talking about? I love this. And I found out quickly that there was a niche for that. And I first started out writing show notes because I was like, wait, you're going to pay me to listen to your show and just type up whatever you're saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, This is great. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then it turned into talking with other podcast editors, John Buchanan's you, Steve Stewart, and finding out that this is a way that I could make a living doing what I love, which I love listening to podcasts and learning from them. And I ended up taking Steve Stewart's course. He does a course every few months about podcast editing for others. And I took his first one and he was able to sort of start me off. And he gave me the business information that I was really worried about the most. And at that time, that was the same time that I said layoffs were coming. I knew layoffs were coming. And my options were, okay, I'm taking this course with Steve Stewart. What do I want to do with this? What have I invested money into for me to go out and possibly look for another job? No, I'm putting this money toward my own learning. And this is the community I love. And if I got to wake up every day and go online and talk to my friends and somehow get paid for it at the same time, that's living the dream. Yeah. And that really is cool because now you have 
a different life. I'm assuming you don't have someone else giving you an eight to five schedule. You've got to follow. You don't have expected deadlines for projects. I mean, you get to be in charge of all of that. I do. And it's also very scary because you realize when you start a business that all those systems and all that trust you put into other people and people above you is now gone. And yes, it's freedom. But if you've never been on your own before, you've never sort of directed yourself it can be very scary. And I think that's another thing going back to podcasting was when I started my solo show, again, it was just me. I had people I could look up to and I had many people I could ask questions to. And when I realized that I can still go to people who quote unquote are my competition and ask them a question and they're going to help me. And that's amazing. And I love to be able to return the favor to people as well. I absolutely agree with you. There is something about having to be your own boss and push yourself forward that, I don't know, to me, it's a a stage of growth that we all need and and becoming an entrepreneur forces you to move into that stage of growth. And uh, thankfully that podcasting is the avenue that got you there. Yeah. I don't know of any other hobby or activity that would have led me to becoming my own boss the way podcasting gave me the courage and ability to do so. It's almost like you stumble into it through something you love so much you can't imagine that it's going to be even possible. Kind of like a kid who dreams of being a professional baseball player and never in his wildest dreams conceives that it can even be true. But turns out he has the talent, he has the open doors, and sometimes the things we love really do turn out to be the things that support us. It does. And even when you're doing podcasting as a hobby, you are still picking up such valuable business techniques like marketing and putting yourself out there and not being spammy or gross or learning to get feedback and actually use it constructively. And you're doing all that with a podcast that maybe you just wanted to do on the side. But then when it came down to starting a business, all of a sudden the business coaches and the business books I was following They're saying, find your ideal client. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've already done this with podcasting, trying to find my ideal listener. (gasps) Oh my goodness. The overlap is just amazing. It really is. It's one of the only industries where doing the work actually equips you to do the work better, I think. Yes. I found that in my own business. You know, we started obviously with one client and within just under three years, we're pushing 40 clients. And I think it was only because I was learning how to market and build a business by doing the work that I'm serving others with, you know, because I got to hear their expertise as I'm doing work for them. It's almost like my clients were training me how to run my business. Isn't that funny how that works? And it also interests me that sometimes you find clients and they bring you podcasts that maybe you normally wouldn't have clicked on if you were listening to a podcast app or trying to search for some information on Google. And all of a sudden, this podcast that you're editing, at least for me, sometimes it comes along at just the right time. Like I edit two financial podcasts and because of editing those My husband and I were able to pay off his college loans. And that's all because I edited those podcasts that I normally wouldn't have clicked on in my podcast app. I have a client who does a show about e-commerce. So selling private label products and those kinds of things, building your own web store, that kind of stuff. Well, that that does not interest me at all. I I have no (laughs) desire to do that. But the principles 
and the business systems that he shares for people in those shoes educate me while I'm working yeah. on it because I can easily transfer the concepts to what I'm doing in my business. It's just phenomenal. You're right. I never would have chosen his podcast, but man, I'm so glad I get to work on it. I know. Well, I hope you don't mind Emily and I going down that podcast editor's rabbit hole there for just a little bit. It's a common experience we shared. And I feel like the things she shared about learning from episodes, even though it's not something you would pick yourself and the podcasting community and the support you find as a podcaster, man, those were just too good not to share. So we're going to move into a section where I ask Emily for her tips for anyone who's looking to start a podcast and for those who are already rolling and perhaps are a little discouraged. You don't want to miss this. Emily has got some great insights, not just from her own experience, but also from working with clients over the years. If you knew that right now you were speaking to someone who is considering doing a podcast, but for various reasons has objections in their own mind as to why they shouldn't, what sort of comments or advice would you make to that person? I feel like there are two answers because <laughs> there's the answer that I really want to scream at them. It's like, if you don't have the passion to get behind a microphone, then don't do it. But at the same time, you also want to be nice to everybody <laughs> and let them know that their voices are important. It might not be a microphone that they need to get behind. It might be a laptop they need to get behind to write a blog post or it might be a video camera if they're not. <laughs> I don't know if, if they're not comfortable behind a mic. Maybe they're comfortable in front of a camera. Who knows? But really, I would look at them and say, find that passion inside of you of the thing that you cannot wait to tell people about and just get behind a microphone and press record. You don't have to publish anything that you record if you don't want to. But if you feel like there's more than just one or two people in the world who need to hear that message, go press publish because that message will find somebody who needs it. That is a great piece of advice. Now, let's imagine that there's a person who is starting a podcast. They're committed. I'm going to get this done. But they are brand new to podcasting. What advice would you give to them? Start slow. Grow slow. Don't take shortcuts. Because if you take shortcuts, and this is a quote I heard recently and I loved it. If you take shortcuts, sometimes you get to your destination way before you should and you're not ready to handle it yet. Hmm. So be prepared to take it slow and learn along the way. Always be comfortable learning. Always be comfortable asking for feedback and taking it constructively because you're going to learn more doing in podcasting than you are watching or comparing, especially. Just focus on doing your podcast. So when you say comparing, you mean between your show or practices and what you're seeing someone else do. Right. I think that's one of the easy downfalls beginning podcasters will find themselves in is asking about numbers and worrying that their show or their numbers aren't measuring up. And if you really want to dig deep into those numbers, look at shows similar to yours. Don't look at the big shows. Don't look at what advertisers are looking for. Look at shows and talk to people who are on the same level as you, who are also maybe around episode 10, or also maybe just starting out in the podcasting world. Make friends with those because those are going to be the people who are going to be your network and who are going to support you later on. 
And four years ago, I'm still friends with so many of those first podcasters I ever met. And we've all gotten our shows up in not only audience members, but in engagement. And we've all found that, you know, this isn't just a hobby for us. This is a passion that we're really into. And a lot of times you don't see that in other people that you interact with. You don't necessarily see their passion for things. But with podcasters, it's something that's so easy to point out. That is a a very good observation. I appreciate you sharing that. So Emily, uh, you have a unique perspective about podcasting because you work in the industry, because you work behind the scenes doing editing and all of those kinds of things. So what are some of the things you enjoy being able to say to people as maybe a warning or a caution or a, I don't know, maybe a revelation of something they need to know that they don't know when someone is talking about starting a podcast? They are probably overthinking 80% of what they're worried about and not focusing enough on the 20% of what they actually need for a podcast, which is content. Many people overthink the hosting company, the microphone, the cover art. I mean, those are all important, but those are all things that can be worked on as the show evolves. What you need to actually start that show is knowing what you're going to talk about. Man, that's just a mic drop. That is, that's like, I'm like, do I go on? I don't really have anything else to follow that up with. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's like the golden moment of this conversation of, of advice, because it is just so spot on. You know, you see those little gifts people put in with the guy pointing up going this, this, that's how I feel right now is I I can't add to that. That is the thing that I would want people to hear. That's wonderful. Well, I hope you have enjoyed learning a little bit about Emily and the story behind podcasts. You can find out everything about her show at thestorybehindpodcast.com. And if you're interested in her audio editing and show notes services, though I'm not sure she does show notes anymore, you can ask her about that. Her podcast services are found at epodcastproductions.com. And I also want to give thanks to the folks who have provided the music for this episode four different tunes that were used here. First of all is the theme music that you're listening to right now. It is called Shaving Mirror, and it is created by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. It's licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. There's another piece that Kevin has penned at 47 minutes into this episode called Plain Loafer. It also can be found on Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. And then two other pieces of music at seven minutes in. It's called I Like Peanuts. And at 19 minutes, 37 seconds, you hear Smooth Jazz Night. These were created by an incredible guy, very generous, named Jason Shaw. Jason runs a website called audionautics.com. And everything you find there is, first of all, pretty incredible in its musicianship and in the production value that you find on the tunes but they're all absolutely free as well. You don't have to attribute him at all, though I love to do it because I just want him to get credit. But you can go and check out his music there at audionautics.com. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this podcaster story. I hope you learned from this episode a ton to help you get a podcast started, keep yours going, or to make it better. Man, that piece about knowing your audience and focusing on content was worth its weight in gold. 
Hey, God bless you, and thanks so much for listening.